Thank you, church, for joining in for that time of prayer. I know we usually don't have quite that focus, but um, being what today is, it felt like a good opportunity for us to just spend some time praying together for that issue. So let's uh, make sure we don't make that the end of how we're engaging the culture in the world. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to find more and more ways where we can engage with the moms and the babies that, uh, that desperately need some help right now, too. With that, church, we are going to move on um, into God's Word now. We're going to continue on in the book of Nehemiah. Um, last time we met two weeks ago, we began with the first half of chapter 4. When Nehemiah tells the people to remember the Lord who is great and awesome, as the people are afraid and, and scared of the threats and the words and the, the mockery of the enemy, and we stopped there at verse 14 to, to split Nehemiah chapter 2 up because I wanted that, that phrase, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, that sits in the middle, almost, right at the heart of the passage, to just uh, sit in our hearts, to sit in our minds, to sit there and wrestle with that phrase for ourselves. Because this is the phrase that Nehemiah uses as his rallying cry in the middle of chapter uh, 4 to bring the people back to God, to free them of their fear from God's enemy, which seeks to stop this work with which they have been commissioned to do. So this is kind of part two of that sermon. If you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4 with me. We're going to go ahead and read verses 14 to 23 out loud together. We're going to dig into the second half of chapter 4 to see how the people respond to this call that Nehemiah gives to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And we're going to see how they respond when the Lord frustrates the plans of his enemies. So we're going to start reading at chapter 14 and read to the end end of the chapter here. Go ahead and open up to Nehemiah 4, please. Mm. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who surrounded or who sounded the trumpet beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people of that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. I know I've been starting off our sermons lately uh, with a question for us to kind of ponder. So I just want to ask you today, church, are you tired today? It may not be a great question to ask a group of Michiganders as at 3 p.m. the Lions are about to play in their biggest game in 50 years. There's probably some adrenaline kicking. I got a couple of preteen boys back there clapping their hands. So there's probably some adrenaline firing for some people in this room. So asking this group of people if you're tired today may not be the best day to ask that question. But I ask that question, church, because I just want to be honest with you. I'm tired today. I'm pretty tired today. Oftentimes, I've, I've, always heard, I've always heard it preached that oftentimes, or I've always heard it said, often at least, that you preach on a topic that you need to hear uh, yourself as much as everyone else does. You've probably heard that before from pastors, right? And as I stand here before you today, church, I'm, I'm tired, right? Some of you know this, some of you, you don't, but what was it, last weekend it came down with COVID. Yay, you know, I... One more virus rolling through the house. 
right? And in the middle of these blizzard-like conditions, and I'm not feeling great, and then Lydia starts to not feel well, and she's sick, and now we have a, a five-month-old baby that doesn't want to lay down to go to sleep. And then a couple days later, Doran starts to feel it too, right? And it just starts rolling down hill again through the house. And well, I've done well with COVID in the past, right? This time, I think I felt the symptoms a whole lot worse. The exhaustion and the congestion, it really started to kind of wear me down, you know, in the middle of the week. I mean, on top of that too, a five-month-old baby that doesn't want to lay down to sleep. You combine those things together, and this is a, a recipe uh, for weariness, is it not, church? And as I thought back to two weeks ago, the first half of Nehemiah chapter 4, I remember the people of God and the enemy coming against them to frustrate the work that God had called them to do. And I thought to myself, and I thought to myself, how many times I just wanted to pick up the phone and tell Kaiki or Eric, and be like, hey guys, I'm checking out this weekend. You guys are up. You know, you're here. You guys are here for a reason. You're gifted. I'm, 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 I'll see you guys next week, right? That's where I crossed my mind a few times this week, church. Because I was tired. I was weary. But I know I couldn't. I know I couldn't just pick up the call. I know I could because they're capable. And they would do it in a heartbeat at the last second. But I know I couldn't because I knew how I felt wasn't just weakness from my physical sickness. And even though there was an attack, right? There's a virus weakening my body, going after my body. The physical element is very real. No, I knew... I knew those desires to give up and to pick up the phone and just throw in the towel for the weekend. It was my spirit feeling weak. It was my soul being worn down and beaten down from the physical weariness, from this physical attack of this earthly enemy in my body. And I was forgetting that lesson of Nehemiah chapter 4 to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I know the people in Jerusalem, they had to deal with mockery, and they had to deal with rumors, and they had to deal with threats of physical attacks. And then they had to deal with calls from their own people in the beginning of chapter 4 saying, save yourselves, get out of there, what are you doing? Right? And, and this may have not been the circumstances I was facing today, this week, right? It wasn't the case. There weren't mockery and threats and calls to flee uh, from here. From, from whatever was going on, right, to save myself. This was an inside battle raging in me to just say, just give up this week. Nobody's going to think less of you. It was a spiritual battlefield that I had to wrestle through this week to be here with you today, church. And my desire to respond to those threats and the weariness of the enemy was getting to my soul to keep me from doing what I, I love to do, from being here with you, getting the privilege and honor of opening God's word. Church, the enemy is attacking and trying to wear us down through physical attacks, through wearying our soul. And that lesson from Nehemiah chapter 4, to remember the Lord who is great and awesome, right? And to be present, to be present with his people, to be present with him, to carry on and to battle in the face of that weariness and that tiredness, right? And if I was sick, I would have stayed home. I, I promise you, if I, if I was still sick, I would not be here spreading COVID to everybody, right? But my soul needed to be here today. My soul needed to see all of you today because I had to be ready to do battle with that enemy that's coming after us, church. I think this is where we see what, what our focus is for the second half of, of Nehemiah chapter 4, right? The second half of Nehemiah chapter 4 is the response of God's people to Nehemiah's call to remember the Lord who is great and awesome and to fight for your families. And I think we see that response in a beautiful way, and I think it's very instructive for us. And that was the main idea I have for us here on the passage today. That second half of Nehemiah chapter 4, it teaches us that the battle belongs to the Lord and that He will frustrate the plans of those who oppose His work of building His kingdom. That's the God we serve. He is at work already to put the plans of the enemy to an end. We see that uh, Nehemiah says in verse 20 that we just read, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Church, we need to remember this rallying cry and we need to remember this main idea that it is the Lord who is frustrating the plans of the enemy even now so that we are ready to press on with his kingdom building work 
and not be consumed or distracted by the enemy when he comes to us with mockery, with fear, with division, with that desire to just say, throw in the towel. Even if it's just for this week, right? Where you know you can get away with it. Nobody's going to think less of you. Just throw in the towel and give it up. No, we remember this rallying cry. We remember our Lord who fights for us because He is going to carry us on. He is going to cause us to press on with the work He has commissioned us to do. This is exactly what we see early on in Nehemiah chapter 4. The enemies who are angry because someone has come to seek the welfare of Israel. Someone has come to seek the welfare of the people of God here in Nehemiah chapter 4. And they want this work stopped. They want to see Jerusalem left in ruins. They want to see the people of God made completely ineffectual and left poor and destitute and hopeless. They want to see the people of God abandon the promise that Yahweh has made to them. And the last thing they ever want to see is Yahweh's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We've used that phrase a lot over the last year of being kingdom-minded people, right? And these are people who are subjects to the kingdom of Christ. And I think the second half of chapter 14 gives us a beautiful picture of how kingdom-minded people respond to this kind of adversity. Right? We see it immediately after Nehemiah's cry to the people in chapter 15. Chapter 14, Nehemiah says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And he gives this battle cry to the Jews to fight for their families, to fight for their land, to fight for the promise that God has given them. And the people respond in verse 15 by doing what? They return to the wall. They return to the wall. They return to this work that they were commissioned to do. They heard uh, their enemy's plans, right? And they heard, or the enemies knew that God had frustrated what was happening here. As the enemies of the Jews tried to sow discontent and mockery, literally making fun of the wall they're building. And when the people pressed on in spite of that, they tried to bring, uh, in spite of that, in spite of that effort to bring the wall building to a halt, When the, the, <laughs> lost my spot. The people pressed on in spite of that. I told you I was tired, church, right? I told you I was tired. The people pressed on in spite of that. They tried, they pressed on in spite of the efforts to bring this work to a halt when they were spreading rumors of physical attack. They pressed on in spite of these words of mockery that were just words, right? Nothing actually came of any of these words. And they pressed on in spite of the rumors of the physical attack. And this pressing on, it caused the Jews to remember what God it is they served. They pressed on because they knew who it was they were serving, who they were working for. And that remembrance from the people, that trust in Yahweh as their deliverer, the one who called them to build the wall and who provided for this undertaking. This one who says the kingdom, or this is the one who says that work of building the kingdom, it will not fail. He frustrates the plans of his enemies because his word will stand and his work will not fail. That's the response. It's point number one, the Lord frustrated the enemies, right? The desire of the enemy is to see the work of rebuilding the wall stopped. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants the kingdom to cease going forward. The enemy likes his boundaries. He likes his kingdom of darkness the size that it is, and he wants this work stopped. This happens in Nehemiah, in the wall going up, being built, because the wall is this place of safety, of physical safety for this heart that sits at the city of this earthly kingdom God has given to the Jews. The wall provides the physical protection for this place of worship for these people. And the enemy hates that. The enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants that worship to be quenched and eradicated and stopped. And the people respond to the Lord by doing what, church? They build. They build. They build because the work is the Lord's. And their faithfulness to build, ironically enough, right? It adds to the frustrations of the enemy. I think this scenario is more relatable to us, church, than uh, we probably would give credit for initially, right? 
But as we are people who are part of a church, who are part of God's kingdom building work today, we probably see the enemy of God working in many ways, and we've probably seen it in the past, to frustrate the work of the church that he's given us. See, the enemy has frustrated Nehemiah because the people aren't given into fear of mean words and empty threats that, are, that they are hoping will distract and incapacitate the people of God. And likewise, today, empty threats and mean words and, and internal strife and all kinds of things are used by the enemy to create this division to keep the church from being on mission. If you've been in the church for any length of time, I know you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You probably can think of scenarios that you've seen firsthand, right? Something that has come up inside a church that completely distracts from the work that we are to be doing in serving one another and in reaching our community. These things come to a screeching halt because the enemy is sowing discord and disunity and fear through something as simple as the words that we're speaking to one another. And it's too easy to church when we forget who our God is and the unity in Christ that we share to be taken off mission and to start rummaging around with everyone's fears and hobby horses and insecurities, church. One of the most famous examples of this, you probably heard this just you know, as, as a you know, funny example, but the church that splits because of the color of the carpet or the color of the curtains, right? You've got this side of the pews wants purple curtains, this side wants blue curtains, and we can't come together because we've got this hobby horse of what color the curtains are. Well, guess what, church? What's happened to the mission? What's happened to the message going out to the lost souls as we sit here and we yell at each other across these pews because I want purple and I want blue? Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Now the stories come back to mind. Now we remember and we see how the enemy works to sow division in things that don't matter. I don't care what color the curtains are, right? I mean, maybe not purple or blue. It's a little dark. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that there is a world that if we don't leave here and take the message of the gospel out to do the work of kingdom building, will die in their sin and go to hell and spend eternity forever separated from God. That's what's important, church. That's what's important. There are people in this church who are struggling, who need that encouragement, who need to be built up, who need to be told, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's what's important, church. That kingdom building, that community building, that love for one another, that's what's important. I'm sure we all can look back and we find those situations inside the church and we probably can say, boy, we sure did give in to fear there. Boy, we sure did get ourselves distracted. We sure did distract ourselves with discord, with disunity. And we really fell for the enemy's attempts to just squabble with one another while the world just continued to drown farther and farther into darkness and despair, church. How easy is it to see or how easy it is us, how hard is it sometimes for us to press on for the sake of the Lord when we turn these little sort of uh, molehills into mountains, right, to die on? How easy is it to church to sit there and to give into that fear, right? Not even just discord or disunity with distraction, but to give into fear and to be paralyzed, right? We may, may look and say, you know, maybe, maybe this is good enough. Maybe I can just go home now and get some of the heat and discomfort and pain and discouragement off my back and I can just enjoy my creature comforts, right? It's okay. I've got enough. We did enough. It, it's, it's good to just leave it where it's at. I'm just gonna, like I said, I'm just going to throw in the towel for this week, church. One, one of the other guys uh, handle this work. The enemy is going to try hard to take us off mission, church. And this is where we need to remember that battle cry of Nehemiah. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome because it is through Jesus Christ in which we all receive forgiveness for our sin. And it is the blood of Christ that binds us together in this body, not just here and in this place, but into eternity, church. Remember that Lord who is great and awesome who brought us to this place. 
to worship together, to lock arms together, to do the work of building the kingdom together. It is in Jesus, it is in our trust in him, our unity in him, our willingness to love one another and to forgive one another and to not give in to the fear and just settle for whatever it is in this world that we like to turn to for comfort. We all have those things, right? You go home, you just turn the TV on. Time to check my brain out. It's too easy to do. We can't just settle for the creature comforts we, we enjoy in this world and just say, you know, it's okay that there's this issue between me and my brother. It's okay that there's people out there that are dying in the streets and need to hear the gospel. We can't give in to that kind of fear, church. We can't give in to that kind of fear. Ultimately, church, it's in this great God and Savior. Not in our work, right? This is not a call to works. I'm going to reiterate this several times. This is not a call. This is not a beat down. This is not you not going and doing enough in this. No, this is a call to remember the Lord who is great and awesome because it is in this great God and Savior we find the ultimate frustration of the plans of the enemy. Jesus Christ on the cross is the ultimate frustration of the plans of the enemy. And when we're sitting there and we're dealing with that issue over the color of the curtains or the carpet, we need to go back to Christ. And we need to let him frustrate those plans of the enemy so that we come back together in unity and we get back out on mission, church. We get back out on mission. Church, I want to encourage you, his work of building his kingdom will not fail. That is the message over and over again Nehemiah gives to the people. The good hand of God is with me. That's what Nehemiah says right in the beginning. He tells the people this because God's work will not fail. He's given us a mission, church, we can't lose in. And the only way we lose is when we distract ourselves with the lies and the deceit of the enemy that sits there and causes us to look more inward than to sit there and to look outward at each other and to look outward into our community, into our world. That's where we lose. That's where we lose. But if we're on mission for him and we're doing what God has called us to, we don't lose, church. He wins. He wins in the end. And he's called us to that mission so we can take heart and we can press on because we know his mission will not fail. This is where the Jews in Jerusalem are now in chapter 4. There's only, there's only one out now. Oh, there's only one way out now. There's only one way out now for the Jews here in chapter 4. They have to go forward and press on. And in the second half of chapter 14, or chapter 4, verse 16 to 23, I really hope everybody's following me today. <laughs> oh, praise God for you all. I love you guys so much. Mm. There's only one way for the Jews to go forward, and we see that in the second half of chapter 4 and verses 16 to 23. And the response from the people as they go on in faith is that Yahweh will carry them forward to the completion of their task. He is the one, we said, who has commissioned the mission. We've seen that all through the book of Nehemiah. And he is the one, now in chapter 4, who ensures that no enemy stands against his work. We see this response from the people now as chapter 4 comes to a close, I think in, in three different ways. First, we see it in verses 4, uh, 16 to 18. We, we find a description here of people who are working with their weapons in one hand and their tools in the other. And this passage is uh, that, where that famous phrase, the sword and the trowel, come from. Have you guys heard that phrase before, the sword and the trowel? Right? It's a pretty, pretty famous phrase, but this is where it is. Because here the people are working with their weapon in one hand and their building with the other. And that phrase is coined here because this is what the people are doing, Right? They're equipped for battle, but they're equipped for building. They're equipped for battle, and they are equipped for building. They are ready to go to answer that call to fight. But in their response and in their preparation to defend the kingdom if they have to, they do not cease to build the work, or to, to stop the work of building the wall, do they, church? They press on with the right tool, with one tool in each hand for each response. I think we can look at this example of the people of God again here, church, 
And we can see in this record of how the Jews continued building that wall while being prepared to repel the enemy if the enemies of the people actually followed through on their threats, right? For the Jews here, the defense of and the building of are not separate actions. I love this picture that is painted for us by these faithful servants because I think it looks an awful lot like what we're still called to do even to this day. And I know we always have to be careful reading ourselves into uh, stories too much like this because the enemies of God we face now are spiritual enemies, right? Who are at work in the world deceiving the nations, trying to keep people in bondage to their sin and keeping, in some cases, whole people groups from the grace and mercy and reconciliation of Christ. Those are the enemies we face today. We don't win this battle we face today with physical weapons. We don't win this battle with guns or with knives or with anything of that lot. No, this battle, church, is won with a sword. This battle is won with a sword that we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. This sword is living and active. We have a sword we are to be equipped with, church, like Ephesians chapter 6 says, where Paul tells us that this sword, this sword is the very word of God. And Paul tells us there to have it ready and equipped in all circumstances. Because this is the way in which we win the battle. We win the battle by seeing hearts and minds transformed from cold, stony, dead, lifeless hearts being brought to life by the very blood of Christ to be fleshy, beating, alive when it was once stony and dead. We don't see the battle won for Christ by leading troops off to war. We wage spiritual warfare by proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost and far off and by bringing God's word to bear in our homes and our families and by extension, our neighborhoods and our communities. And then we celebrate the transforming power of this sword we are equipped with when it does the work to see people set free from sin. Church, we are equipped with a sword. We are ready to fight that spiritual battle with one hand, and we are ready to build that kingdom with the other. And the work is not separate. They are not different things. They are the same thing in unison, pushing together. And we know what we're equipped with. We know what our, our weapon is, right? We're not going out to fight, uh, to lead an army. We're not going out to, to gear up and go out into the streets to fight a war with physical weapons, church. This is our weapon, this is the weapon that will change the hearts of people who stand in opposition to us and bring them from the outside and join them in so we are now family, whereas we were once enemies. This is the weapon that God used to bring us who were enemies into his family as well, church. This is the battle. We have a sword that pierces hearts and minds and souls, and we need to be ready to wield it as we do this work of building the kingdom. That's the beautiful thing that I see the picture of the people who are standing there with sword in one hand and trowel in the other, ready to fight, but building the wall. We're in the same place today, church. We've got our sword ready to fight. And we're ready to take it out and to build the kingdom that God has commissioned us to build. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. His mission is a beautiful thing. But it's an intimidating task, church. It's an intimidating task. The thought of using this sword that is the word of God to fight back against the kingdom of darkness and to see the kingdom of God spread across our city, across our county, across our country, across the globe, that's an intimidating task. And we feel small. And we feel small because we are, right? We feel shy. And we feel shy because a lot of us at different times probably are pretty shy. Right, And we don't feel good enough or smart enough, and that's okay to feel that way because, church, we're not good enough or smart enough. And we feel like we don't have the resources or the organization. And church, it's probably true. We probably don't have the resources or the organization. But here's the beautiful thing, church. Here's the beautiful thing. The people of God in the book of Nehemiah did not build the wall because of their own strength. 
They did the work because they were being faithful. It was the Lord who was the one who was at work providing what they needed and giving them the strength to press on in the work. God works through us in our weaknesses, church. God works through us in our weaknesses. Paul reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's writing here, he says, But he, that is the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We may be afraid and intimidated. We may still be feeling shame from sin that we haven't brought to light yet. There may be all kinds of things the enemy tries to throw in our face to wrestle us away from the life and mission that God has called us to. But church, remember the reminder that Nehemiah gives the people in verse 20. Don't be afraid when it comes time to use that sword. And we don't be afraid when it comes time to use that sword because why? Verse 20, our God will fight for us. When that horn sounds and you hear the time for battle has arrived, don't fear. It's not up to you to go break the chains of the enemy. It is your job to faithfully run to your position and know that the battle belongs to the Lord. These Jews had been given their position to build and defend the wall in Jerusalem. Right? Nehemiah says it, we're spread out, we're far apart, we're all at these different places. And that's why he tells them, listen to that horn and come running when it blows. Our God will fight for us. They're spread out, they have their positions to build and defend. And again, this is another picture that I love seeing them placed in a spot to do specific work. How they're spread out across the city. And even though they're not working necessarily side by side in every instance, they are working all in unison, all with the same goal. But not everyone with identical tasks. That fits right along with what we see in the New Testament, right? We are one body with many parts. The eye can't look to the ear and say, I, don't, I have no need for you, right? We need one another. We, we have different parts. We have different gifts. We have one mission, but we don't all have identical tasks. And I love this picture because I see in it the answer to that question, or one of the answers to that question I posed to us so many times this last year and a half. What if the whole church was the missionary? What if the whole church was the kingdom-building force in the world today? What if we don't just pay a professional class of, of people to do ministry and outreach? But what would the world look like if Faith Baptist Church... Right, And by extension, going into the city we live in, look like if we ministered to one another the way Ephesians 4 tells us to, right? Because that's what Ephesians 4 says. It says, uh, it says, pastors, you're going to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That changes things, doesn't it? That means you're not just paying me to come do ministry to you. That means you're looking to me to say, hey, as I raise my hand and say, hey, I want to help point us to the Lord to equip us so that we can minister to one another. So it's not on me. It's not on Kaiki or Eric or Brian or anybody who says they want to, to help bring spiritual leadership to the church, right? It's us ministering to one another. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. Taking up our spot. What would it look like, church, if this little piece of Christ's body took our positions at each spot around the city every day we go out into the world? How would that change the city we live in as we're ready to build and bring the sword to those positions that the Lord has placed us in? It means we come together each week to worship together, to encourage one another, to be reminded of the King we serve, to remember the Lord who is great and awesome like Nehemiah called us to remember. The one who brings redemption to creation and salvation from sin to humanity. What would it look like if we do that and we encourage each other, build each other up, and then we go back 
take our positions where God has placed us in, and then we live like we believe it. What would our world look like then, church? I know talking like this can be scary. And take heart because we can all be shy sheep. But if we remember we have a position that God has given us in this kingdom building work, I think for most of us, for most of our positions, living like we believe the things that bring us hope and encouragement as we gather, living that way will speak loudly to the world. Right? I'm not just saying like the, the old phrase right, that, that you probably have heard, like preach the gospel every day and if necessary use words. Right? You've heard that before. Right? I think there's an element of that that's true, but you need words to preach the gospel still. So you can't have one without the other, can you? So if we're living like we believe it, the words that are coming out of our mouth are going to be different. It's going to sound different. It's going to, it's going to, the world's going to hear it different. Right? They're going to hear things coming out of our mouth when the economy feels like it's melting down right? and everybody's savings are gone because inflation is, is just destroying it. And we're going to sit there and we're going to say, well, I know the Lord's going to provide and take care of me. And the world's going to look at you and be like, what are you talking about? Do you see the dummy in this office or that office that is ruining the world for us? And we can say, I remember the Lord who's great and awesome. And he's never failed to provide. That looks different. That smells different. That sounds very different to the world, church. And when I say we live like we believe it, church, I, I want to encourage you. I don't mean to go out and live for Jesus like we believe it in a self-righteous way, right? This is a huge mistake we can make as Christians as we say we want to be kingdom-minded people. There's this sense that we can walk out and the world's already looking at us like we're acting like we're holier than thou, right? That's already a critique the world will bring against us. But when we go out in the world, don't, don't live in that self-righteous way and just look down upon everybody else who's lost in their sin. We need to have that compassion and that, that hope to see people lifted out of those circumstances that we were in too, right? This isn't about being self-righteous and now we're holier than thou. No, and I think we demonstrate this for the world, church, when we're out there and when we stumble and when we sin, church, own it and repent. When you're at home with your kids and you muff it up, and you yell at them, and you're short-tempered with them, come back to them and repent. And tell them, you know, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. I messed it up. When you do something to your coworker at work, maybe you need to go to them and tell them, you know what, I messed that up, and I really did not live out my values there. And I just want to tell you I'm sorry, and I just want to repent before God. Let your family and your neighbors and the people you encounter, let them see... When you stumble, what it looks like to go to the Lord and to go to one another for forgiveness. Don't live that out. Don't try to live it out in self-righteousness because we have, we have the Lord and we strive to live like Him, but we still stumble and fall and fail. And what the world does not need right now is a bunch of self-righteous Christians out there trying to act like we've got it all together. We don't, but we know the one who does. That's what the world needs, church. When you take up your spot in the weekly kingdom-building position you've been placed, show the world what grace and mercy look like when we lay our sin at the feet of Jesus and we seek to have reconciliation and forgiveness with God and with one another. This is a key piece of the puzzle for us as we engage the world, church, because the world hates forgiveness, right? Look at the way the world deals with people. You know, somebody comes out and says something dumb on social media, and what happens? Canceled. You're done. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you capitulate to whatever group you've offended or whatever wrong, you've, wrong words you've said or whatever you've done. You're finished. There is no forgiveness. You have one chance in the world, and if you fail, they will cast you out, and you will find no friends for quite some time. We see it. We see it day by day. We see this story on social media over and over and over again. What kind of message do we have to bring of forgiveness and reconciliation church that the world needs to hear. That's radically different from the way the world lives today, church. And don't live in a way that portrays us as self-righteousness. Let's own that and let's be willing to confess and forgive and be reconciled with one another when it needs to happen, church. 
This is a key piece of the puzzle, engaging the world. This is a key piece of living out our life as a follower of Jesus publicly in the places God has positioned us. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him on Sundays, right? He doesn't just say, hey, make sure you're there on time, which everybody did a great job today, by the way. We were ready to go about 10 minutes before, right? He doesn't say, come Sunday, come Wednesday, and you're good. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Following Jesus, church, living for Jesus, this is an all day, every day, all the time, life-changing, life-transforming, life-altering event. The gospel proclamation and the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done is a radical life altering message that takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and gives us citizenship into the kingdom of God. This is all day, every day. This is not just something we do. Living for Jesus is who we are, church. Living for Jesus is who we are. Here's the amazing thing, too. I think we see a picture of this a little bit here in the end of chapter 4 as the people take up uh, arms, and they respond to this call to remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Verse 21, you can look back at it with me. I'm going to read 21 through 23. Nehemiah writes, So we labored at the work. Half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servant, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon in his right hand. Do we see what the people are doing there in those verses? This is all day, every day. And this isn't Nehemiah, the leader, telling people to do something he's not doing. No, he says, neither I, nor my brothers, nor any of these people who are with me, what did they, they not do? None of them took their clothes off. Well, what does that mean? Right? If you're sleeping in your clothes, what does that mean you're, you're ready to do? It either means, A, you came home so exhausted you passed out on the couch, or B, it means I know I have to be up and ready to go, that I'm going to be dressed now when I fall asleep so I'm ready to run when the time comes. This is all day, every day, prepared to build and to battle if necessary. Let every man pass by the night. Church, not all of these people lived inside of Jerusalem right now. There were a lot of Jews that were there working on the wall that had family and had, had probably far, or, you know, had animals and, and fields that were outside the city. And yet Nehemiah is sitting here saying, let every man pass the night within Jerusalem. You're not going home. This is home, the work of building the kingdom. This is home. This is life right now to the Jews who are building the wall. This is all day, every day. This is their life. And this is not some sort of abusive workplace, right? Like we have, you know, Nehemiah is not following the 40-hour work week rules. No, this is because the Jews there know who their God is and know what the promise that was given to their people was. And they are there to live that out and see that promise fulfilled. This is all day, every day, because it's who they are. It's who they are. They're the people of promise in the story. And they're rebuilding this wall that's a physical barrier to provide safety to the city, the city that sits at the heart of the worship of Yahweh. This is who they are. Living for Jesus, that's who we are. It's not just showing up here and hearing somebody stumble through a sermon, right? Singing some songs together and, and doing the things we do as rituals. It's who we are, church. It's who we are. I want to leave us with just a couple of things here, too. Because some of you may be fired up right now. Hopefully, maybe I did that for some of you. Right? Not I, but hopefully that the words here and the Holy Spirit's doing that, some of you. Some of you are just fired up and ready to go take the world for Jesus right now, maybe, right? And then I imagine some of you are probably looking at me and saying, Man, Matt, you just laid a heavy burden on me. You just laid a heavy burden 
burden on me. And I want to encourage you right now, both sides, as we kind of wrap up Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to encourage both sides to breathe for a minute, okay? Right? Whether, whether you're just ready to like run out the door now and hit the streets, or whether you're looking at me like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. Take a breath for a minute, okay? Just breathe. To the first group, I want to encourage you, find your position. And by that, I mean your families, your friends, your neighborhood. Find the place that God has placed you in and take that zeal you feel for the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom right now and take it to that place. Let those people hear and see what it is to follow Jesus. Let them hear and see. Sword and trowel. Let them hear the word. Let them see what it looks like for someone to live to follow Jesus. Sometimes in our excitement, it is so easy to just have all of this zeal and to go hit the ground running and to run out the door, and then all of a sudden we flame out as quick as we started. Anybody else ever felt that? Anybody else just so excited, you get going, and then 15 minutes in, you're like, I don't have the energy to keep at this pace. So don't take that zeal and flame out today. Take that zeal and focus it on your position that God has placed you in right now, church. And that means your family, your friends, your neighbors, right? The people you work with. Focus that zeal there so that they see and hear this message of good news so that we participate in the kingdom work in that way. You can't take the hill by yourself, right? The people of God were separated. They couldn't rebuild every piece of the wall all by themselves. They were separated out, spread out across the wall. And we're the same way. We have our place God has positioned us in. Focus on that place and that position. And then let the zeal grow from there so it doesn't burn out. To that second group who may hear these things that feel maybe a little bit beat down, I hope you don't feel that way. I want to... I want to just encourage you, and hopefully I want to say I I hope you're excited for the Lord. And I hope that the burden of works is not what's ringing in your mind right now, because nothing could be farther from the truth of what is happening inside this passage, and nothing could be further from the truth of us as Christians today, right? We said it in verse 20, our God fights for us. And we see that ultimate expression of God fighting for us on the cross as Jesus goes to battle and he defeats death and hell and the devil. God has fought for us. He has won our salvation for us through his sacrifice of himself. And this is not a heavy yoke, right? This this coming in and living for Jesus, right? It's it's all-encompassing. We said that. That sounds like, wow, that's that's a lot. That's that's heavy. No, it's not heavy, church. It is light. It is freeing. It is Jesus taking the heavy burden of this world that we feel weighted down by. Taking that sin and that shame and that fear. Taking all of those things that the world tries to pour onto us. The enemy tries to pour onto us to keep us from coming to God. That heavy yoke of works that says, we're just not good enough and we have to do more to make ourselves right with God. No, what does Jesus tell us? He says, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. His yoke and his burden is light, church, because Christ has done the heavy lifting. The heavy lifting is the work of reconciling us to God. That's something we could never do in ourselves and that's something that, that we actively free from before the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's something that the enemy tries to drag us back down, saying that we can't do it. Because we can't. Because we need the Lord to set us free in that way. We need His work to reconcile us to God. And Jesus has done that. He has fought for us. And we don't work for that blessing of being a child of God. Church, what do we get to do? We just get to live. We get to live now in, in the freedom of not being uh, afraid of what everybody knows of what we did in the past, right? Jesus died to set us free from that. We don't have to live in the fear of what uh, somebody else is thinking about us because we can come to one another because we have unity in the blood of Christ to be honest and open and caring for one another. We have those burdens that are the things weighing us down, lifted off of us, and in Jesus 
We just get to live. We get to live free from those burdens. And yes, Jesus is an all-encompassing, life-changing, eternal, destiny-altering. Um, living for Jesus, is, it's, it's those things, it's a path to walk, right? It's an, a life-changing path to walk, living for Jesus. But church, he's already won the battle. And what we do now isn't sitting there trying to get up enough courage to go out and to fight. What we do now is be faithfully present in the way in which we have been called to our position of His work of building His kingdom. It's not about achieving works or hitting a certain number of tracks passed out or knocking on a certain number of doors or hitting a a quota for the number of people you've invited or making sure you've given enough money to the church this year or making sure your attendance is perfect here. This is not about all the things you can do to try to feel like you're finally reaching out to God. No, God took care of that for us, church. That's already been done and accomplished in Christ. This is about living our life in Christ who lifts the shackles of burden and shame, of hopelessness and despair off of us. And this is about living and sharing that joy that we have from His work. You all probably feel it, right? If we shared testimonies with one another, I'm sure there's plenty of things that we'd all look at and be like, wow, what an amazing thing that God has freed us from. Whether you grew up in the church and all you remember is being in church, serving Jesus from the youngest of age, or whether you just got out of the craziest of circumstances, every one of us can look and say, thank God, Jesus has set me free. We can say that to one another church. Let's live like we believe that now, right? That's the yoke of Christ. We get to live. We get to live in that freedom, and we get to go out those doors, do the kingdom-building work, and we do that work by sharing that joy we have from His work with the little piece of the world around us that He's placed us in. So church, live for Jesus. Tell and show a world looking for hope of the joy we have in Him. Tell and show Sword and trowel. Here's our sword. Be ready to take it out with your trowel as you build. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we praise you. We thank you for this time, Lord, to just dig into your word. Father, I just pray that uh, the important things would stick, God, and all of the other uh, bumbling, Lord, would just fade away. Father, I just pray that uh, this church would be encouraged today, Lord, to prevent uh, Satan from gaining any foothold, whether that be Uh, from whatever that would be, Lord. Let us just remember the freedom and joy we have in Christ. And God, like the people of Nehemiah who are building the wall, I just pray, Lord, that you just help us take our positions. And Lord, when the time comes and the trumpet blows, let us rally to the place we need to rally to and know that you fight for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.